Hello, community, and welcome to the third episode of Encounters with Dignity, a podcast on restorative justice from Catholic Mobilizing Network, or CMN for short. I'm Caitlin Morneau, your host for this podcast and CMN's Director of Restorative Justice. On Encounters with Dignity, we invite you to meditate on some of the core themes of restorative justice, as told through the stories and experiences of those who know its impacts firsthand. What do we mean by restorative justice? In short, it's a way of responding to harm and crime that puts human dignity and relationships at the center. It's an approach to justice that helps facilitate healing and repair. CMN engages people of faith and goodwill around this approach because in more than a decade of working to end the death penalty, we've seen the ways that our traditional legal system fails to uphold human dignity and meet the needs of victims, communities, and incarcerated persons alike. Restorative practices, on the other hand, model Jesus's healing, life-affirming, and reconciling way, a way so desperately needed in our communities, systems, and yes, our church. So far on Encounters with Dignity, we've heard from Father David Kelly, a priest and restorative justice practitioner who works with young people on the south side of Chicago. We also listened to Christina Swarns and Cheryl Wilson talk about attending to the unique needs of victims in death penalty cases. In today's episode, we get to hear from Ernie Garcia. Ernie is a former participant and current member of the Alumni Advisory Committee of Rise Up Industries, an 18-month prisoner reentry program in Santee, California. Having grown up in a world where violence was the norm, Ernie shares his journey through 29 years of incarceration toward transformation and reintegration with his community. A deeply caring and compassionate man, Ernie describes the pivotal role that his faith played in helping him understand his own traumas, take responsibility for his actions, and commit to making things as right as possible. His story is a powerful testament to the inner spiritual work of restorative justice and trauma healing, and how reliance on God implores us to honor our own dignity and the dignity of others. In this episode, Ernie describes some of the violence and abuses that he endured as a young person within his neighborhood and family, so we encourage you to listen with care. And as you listen, I invite you into a spirit of contemplation. Where do you see yourself or someone you love in Ernie's story? When have you known despair and hopelessness? How is the Spirit stirring you to respond? Here's Ernie. I did 29 years in prison. I was sentenced to 75 years to life plus 25. And there's a lot of things that led up to that. A lot of the people where I grew up, they had a single parent or they had parents that were involved in some form of criminality, which wasn't the case for me. My father's family were gang members. My mother's family were gang members, but my mother and father weren't. My father worked two jobs. He worked in a steel factory and he also did auto glass. My mother worked for the Los Angeles County School District. 
they were there for us. They wanted, they spoke against gangs. They taught us ethics. They taught us strong value system. My grandfather, my father's father was a minister. So church was a regular thing for us. At the age around 12, my mother had been having erratic behavior. She started acting violent, had delusions, and she ended up in a fight with the neighbor. They took her to what they call a psych evaluation. What she ended up having was paranoid schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. As she came home, she decided that we were trying to harm her and she fed us, her kids, rat poison. At that age, she was the most precious thing to me. She was a person that I trusted the most. And to have her, to be that age and to feel that she no longer wanted us, that she would rather have us removed was a hard thing for me to accept. I didn't know how to process those feelings at that age. Um, my siblings went to live with aunts, my grandparents. I stayed there with my mother and father. My father didn't know how to deal with it. He started drinking, uh, became alcoholic, and I just wanted away. And the, re the way for me to get away was to go with my uncles, my cousins who were all gang members. And that's what I did. And to me, the situation in the streets was better than me being home. I wanted away from that whole situation that was going on at home. So when I went to the streets, I got in trouble. I was doing all kinds of um, things that weren't good. When I was 17 years old, um, I picked up my life crying. And I was sentenced, as I said before, to 75 years to life. When I went to prison, I didn't become a better person. If anything, I became worse. I got involved in a prison gang within prison. I was still from my street gang and I served 18 years in solitary confinement for my behavior. And it was, a, it was a very bad place to be. It was full of despair, hopelessness. When I talk about despair and hopelessness, I mean, I'm serious. It was something where I never want to be again. I know what that place is and it's a very ugly place. I made excuses for everything. And that was the main thing. And I didn't feel that I had a purpose. And so as time passed, I started to have more conversations and reflections about what I was doing with my life. I started having um, remorse. I started thinking about my victims. I started thinking about things I had done. And not just that, thinking about my family. You know, um, I made all these excuses for the reasons why I did the things that I did without taking responsibility, any form of responsibility. In 2011, I decided to walk away from the prison gang and my street gang within prison. And as you know, um, doing that can be harmful to a person. You know, when you're that deeply involved, you can't just walk away. But to me, the alternative was to stay living the way I was, and it wasn't it wasn't an option. I had a Bible in my cell. My sister had sent it to me around 20 years prior. I had never read it. She sent it to me as a birthday gift, but I didn't throw it away because it was a gift. But I believe at that moment, I was at my fork in the road. I believe that the Holy Spirit was talking to me because there was a part of me that wanted to throw that Bible that was saying, get that Bible out of your cell. And there was another part of me saying to open it open the Bible, read it. And um, I came across a verse in Matthew that talks about all you who are laden and heavy. 
and that he would give us rest. And that spoke to me. And I started reading my Bible and I just kept reading my Bible. And all those, all that emptiness from leaving the gang and living the street life that I did, it filled me with purpose. God filled me with purpose. Instead of doing bad, I wanted to do good. I wanted to share everything that I had inside and, and talk to people within the prison about taking responsibility for our crimes and being honest because most of us are in prison and we're not honest. We say we didn't do it or we make a rationalizations for the things that we do. And so I was released from solitary confinement. Not even a year later, a law passed called SB 260, which states that if you were 18 years old or younger, when you committed your crime, you have a chance of paroling after 25 years. And so I actually went to board that same year in 2014 and the lady that was there, the commissioner, she was like, you know, we believe that you have changed, but it's too soon. We need you to come back in three years. But to me, I was so excited. My original day to go to the board was in 2041. So for me to be going then and to actually be heard, it was like a miracle. And I just kept serving God, kept sharing the word. I kept living by what I was saying. Everything that I was doing was to show that I'm not the person that I was and to live a better life and to in some form making amends to my victims because the only way I seen that I could really do that is by living in the exact opposite way that I was living when I committed my crime. In 2017, I was found suitable and I was released for parole. I came out and you know, it's a whole different thing after being incarcerated for 29 years and then coming out here and when I came out, I got, um, I was introduced to Rise Up Industries, which is foundation is Catholicism. And I seen people here that treated me humanely. They were respectful and talked to me about learning a trade, something that would be valuable to me, something that would give me a foundation to walk on as far as work-wise. And they also taught me ethics. They had CBT there, which is cognitive behavioral therapy that they taught. They had just life lessons, principles, code of ethics, things that they wanted to instill in us so that when we went out and we we're away from Rise Up, that we would have a strong foundation in what we were doing. And it was great. I mean, today I work for an aerospace company. I do math equations that I thought I would never be able to understand. I thought I was too slow to understand them. And it was really a great thing. You know, I come out here and I go to juvenile halls to speak high schools before COVID. I've been to a few colleges to speak, to several where we work with the police department to speak to children. Like we used to speak to the kids from McAllister over here in San Diego. And I believe that my purpose is just to be of service, to be of service to others, to help others, you know, help children and not just children because it's not all about gangs and drugs, sometimes it's just teaching them the strength of making the right choice, not making bad decisions. My nieces and nephews always say I'm a big old softy. They're like, you're a softy now, you know, and my brothers and sister and God did that to me. God gave me that caring, that sense of wanting to help others. You know, the community of restorative justice is actually a great form for us, something that helps us as the offender because 
restorative justice, this community is one that helps and believes that people can change their lives and have a second chance and not condemn us for the rest of our life. And I'm grateful for that because I know in my heart and in everything that I do that I'm not the person I was. And I know as my future goals that it'll continue to be the way that it is, that I'll do the best I can. I'll help as many people as I can and all in God's name. Listening to Ernie reminds me how labels like victim and offender, which are so often wielded in our criminal legal system, are vastly inadequate when it comes to acknowledging the fullness of our God-given dignity. In reality, our common woundedness and sinfulness blur the boundaries of these identities. In reality, we have all known what it is to experience and cause harm to others in some form or another. Ernie's story makes me think of that old saying that hurt people hurt people. Or as Franciscan priest and spiritual writer Richard Rohr so aptly puts it, suffering that is not transformed will most assuredly be transmitted. Pope Francis speaks about this too. In his papal encyclical Fratelli Tutti, the Holy Father writes, Violence leads to more violence, hatred to more hatred, death to more death. We must break this cycle which seems inescapable. Restorative approaches offer ways to break free of these destructive cycles. Through internal reflection and encounter with others, they help us acknowledge the depth of traumas both suffered and caused. They help us create new meaning out of these experiences and recognize our place in the web of life. They help us reconnect with our best selves and beloved community through a newly integrated identity. This work is not easy. It's not quick. If it sounds daunting to you, know that you're not alone. But Ernie's reflections called me to revisit the verse from the Gospel of Matthew that he mentions, chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. From this starting place, may we all invite God to help us bear the burden of breaking destructive cycles, and out of the rubble build up new, strengthened identities as God's beloved children and agents of restoration. Thank you so much, Ernie, for the power of your testimony, and thanks to you, for bearing witness by listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Encounters with Dignity, make sure to subscribe to our show from your favorite podcast platform or by visiting catholicsmobilizing.org slash encounters with dignity. For podcast updates and other news from Catholic Mobilizing Network, follow us on social media or sign up for our emails from catholicsmobilizing.org slash join. 
feeling ready to engage more deeply with restorative justice practices? Then check out Paths of Renewed Encounter, CMN's Restorative Justice Engagement Guide for Catholic Communities. Available as an interactive digital resource, downloadable PDF, and hard copy workbook at catholicsmobilizing.org paths. Coming next month on Encounters with Dignity, Bishop Robert McElroy of the Catholic Diocese of San Diego joins us to break down the parable of the Good Samaritan and imagine new ways to tend to our neighbor's wounds. Will you pray with me? God, whose love is big enough to hold our trauma and hurt. God, whose mercy is vast enough to forgive our greatest sins. God, whose sacrifice revealed that no transformation is out of reach. May the Holy Spirit at work in our midst guide our steps on the path toward healing. Through the eyes of dignity. Amen. Amen.